Happy Day, everyone. I own no green. So I kept my jacket on. It's one of the little eyes, and my company's name is Green. So I shedded it. Now I think I'm safe. I don't think anyone's going to come up here and pinch me. Hopefully, if you do, I'll run. <laughs> I've already gotten pinched several times this morning, and then I realized it was on my jacket. I shouldn't have gotten pinched. But <laughs> no, welcome. Glad you guys all showed up this morning. Glad you're here. How's everybody doing? Good? Good? Quiet. There was like two. Woo! Nothing else. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, there we go. That was better. That was better. All right, well, um, I've really enjoyed getting to go through this series with you guys here at the Firehouse, this Empowered series. We're on part seven of eight. Um, and just using this book uh, as a catalyst, as a tool to revive our hearts, to help us uh, break up our hearts of stone. Maybe we've gotten a little stony in our hearts and, and just make them a little tender. Uh, breathe life into them. Breathe a little excitement into our lives. So I'm glad we've been going through it. Uh, if you're a man and you're able to make it to the men's conference, Last weekend, through those blizzard conditions, I don't know, they were pretty tough. Pretty sure we were going to run off the road on our way home. I don't know, it was a little dangerous. But if you were there, you probably noticed a common theme, maybe a common theme of what we've been going through here, as well as what was talked about there. Um, I don't think it was just a coincidence. There is no such thing as coincidence. Coincidence is not, there is no such thing. God has a plan. He's using all of it. God's teaching us, and He wants us to see it very clearly. And I'm seeing that. The more things we get to go, He wants us to see the need that we have for Jesus, the need that we need um, to have Him in our hearts and how we need to fully trust Him with everything, our entire lives, our years, our months, our weeks, our days, our seconds. We need to trust Him with all of them. He wants our devotion. And I think, again, it's neat to see how He's even been orchestrating in just the books we've gone through the last while here in the church, the, starting with the women's book study last summer and, and the themes that were in that book and some of the books we went through as leaders and pastors this last fall and now just as a church body as we're going through this book and this series. He wants us to grow in our relationship with Him and I think that's pretty evident. That's pretty evident in all these books and He wants us to trust Him on an entirely new level. As a little refresher, let's look back. I've got the points up here. What we've been through for the last six weeks, where we've been. First of all, we looked at what discipleship is and what it isn't in that first week. The next week, we looked at our need to live in the image of Christ. We talked about, Tim talked about photobombing, if you remember that one, probably remember that one. Uh, then I talked about some twisted motivations that we can have, whether it's legalism and licentiousness or freedom, and how we try to use those things to draw us nearer to God. Then we looked at how the gospel should be our only true motivation. Rich talked us through that one. Then Brad shared on how God has given us the Holy Spirit and how it's in us and, and we can use it and he's given it to us for some specific reasons. And then last week, Greg took us into his architectural world and we talked about how we're bricks, how we're all bricks and that we're built strongly together in this church. The Holy Spirit is the mortar and it holds us together and, and how we're to reach the world as that group. And if you know anything, if you're anything like me over these last six weeks, I hope you've gotten a little excitement in your heart. You've gone, oh, wow, there's, there's something to this. There's something exciting God's doing in here. He's working in our midst. And maybe you start to ask yourself some of these questions like, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to me, practically? How do I live this out? What do I need to do? What do I need to change in my life to live this out? What is God calling me to? And what's He calling this church to? What does He want us to do here, in this neighborhood, in this city, in our jobs, in our classes, with our classmates? What does He want us to do? I love practicals. If you know anything about me, I love the practicals. I always have. From day one, I've loved practicals. It's great to be able to have something tangible that we can grab onto, that we know we can do, and that we know we need to do. This morning we're going to look at some easy, tangible things that each one of us here, all of us, can do that will help us grow in our relationship with God. 
as well as further His amazing kingdom at the same time. But first, let's just pray, and let's ask God to bless our time here together. Well, God, we thank you. So this morning, God, we thank you that you got each one of us here. God, you brought us here. You had a reason for us to be sitting in the seat we're sitting in this morning, listening to this teaching. God, I pray that you help me get out of the way. God, that you speak through me this morning. God, help me just to to really obey you and what you're calling to. God, I pray that each person here would just soften their hearts. God, I, I know you've been working on our hearts over these last several weeks this new year. God, I pray that you'd be breaking up the hardness in our hearts. God, help us to be listening to you. Help us be desiring to grow in our relationship with you, desiring to do more for you and your kingdom. God, I pray that you help us to just walk away this morning with some little practical, maybe a new way to attack sin in our life. God, I pray that you'd help us to do that. And again, just speak this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I remember one of the first retreats that I ever went to when I got involved in this movement of churches. And I was a freshman at Colorado State University, and I remember going to that conference, and I remember being moved. I remember being moved. Ah, there's something big going on here. There's something grand going on here. God wants to use me, and he wants to affect eternity with me. And that's, that's pretty crazy when you think about it. That the God of the universe who created all this wants to use us. I'd gotten saved when I was a kid, but I grew up in a church, probably somewhat like some of you, that never really talked that much about having a personal relationship with Christ. It just wasn't something that, that was known, that was talked about. We just went to church, we listened to teaching, we went home. That's what we did. Every week, every Sunday morning, that's all we did. I knew I was going to heaven, but I didn't understand the vastness of that sacrifice. I was a kid, so it didn't quite make sense. And even growing up, not having that taught, I didn't really understand it to the level that I needed to. Um, and so I, I never really was told again to read the Bible. I wasn't in the Bible daily. I, I read it once in a while. I knew what was there. I, I kind of knew the children's stories, the popular stories that everybody knows, Jonah and the whale and all those good stories when you're growing up. But I didn't really know it. And I didn't, again, I wasn't trusting in it. So I didn't know the promises that God had, has for us in his word or the warnings that he throws out to us in his word. I, I just didn't know those things. I never really understood how amazing um, it, it was to be blessed and to be called one of God's children. Like, I, I just didn't know what that feel like. And I didn't understand that he loved every little thing about me. He loves every little thing about me. He loved me despite all my little quirks and my little oddities that he'd given me. At one of those retreats, I made up my mind that I was going to recommit my life to God, that I was going to serve him, and I was going to serve him with the rest of my life. And I started to see glimpses of how God could use me, how he could use me in all my weakness to help rescue others from their ultimate destruction, from their eternal destruction. I made up my mind that I was going to be serious about my relationship with him, that it was going to be a serious part of my life, that I was going to get to know God better by having a purposeful relationship with him, by reading the Bible and seeking him in prayer regularly, that I was going to live in a way that I could and would be a light to others. Now, I didn't instantly become perfect when I recommitted or when I got saved. I wasn't perfect, and I didn't just see tons of people getting saved and um, doing a lot of things, but I began to see God working in me, little things on the inside. He was changing me. He was changing my heart. I saw that he desired to use me, weak, little, old, selfish me. Maybe that's right where you are today. You might be in one of two places. You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and maybe God's been calling you. Maybe he's been working on your heart. He's been calling you to accept him. If that's something God wants you to do, don't put it off. There's no reason to put it off. I would love to talk to you right after church, or I'm sure someone who's sitting next to you or who brought you this morning would love to talk to you. And we'd like to share with you God's love and how it's just a simple receiving. You just have to receive it and you have to believe. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're on the other side. You've accepted Christ. You're a believer. You have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe God's been nudging you over the last couple weeks. He's been working on your heart. He's been shaking you up a little bit and going, Hey, I'm here. Listen to me. I want to use you. He's been giving you glimpses of what he could do with you. 
of what he could use you for, of what he could use your life for, and, and that he wants you to give your all. Not just your Sunday mornings, not just your Wednesday nights, not just your few other times that you come, but he wants to use every moment of your life. Your time at work, your trips to the grocery store, buying groceries, your time in class if you're a student on campus. Maybe it's time hanging out with your family, your wife, your kids, your parents. Maybe it's just every other moment of your day. We do a lot of crazy things. Maybe it's commuting, whatever it is. God wants to use you every minute of every day. You think to yourself, could God change me? Could He change me? Could He help me? Get rid of ugly things in my life that I don't want anybody else to know about, that I'm embarrassed about. Could He grow me? Could He grow me in my affection towards Him? Could I love Him more? Could He give me wisdom that I need to overcome areas of temptation or areas of sin in my life that I've been struggling with that are constantly pulling me down? Could He do that? Could He give me victory over that sin so I don't have to deal with it anymore? Do you ever feel like this? In Romans 7, I memorized this when I first moved down here. I memorized this whole chapter. Do you ever feel like this? It says this in Romans 7, 15-24. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And if we stop right there, we go, oh man, (laughs) wow, this is hopeless. We cry out, who will rescue me? Who's going to rescue me? We need to read one more verse. We read this in Romans 7.25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It's not about us. We can't overcome the sin. We can't overcome the temptations. We can't overcome the things that are dragging us down by ourselves. You're going to lose that battle every single time. Every single time. If you're trying to do it in your strength, you're going to lose it. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. You cannot do it on your own. I can't emphasize that enough. That's the number one mistake we constantly make. We set out to conquer sin on our own, and we forget the gospel. We forget the gospel. We get so focused on ourselves, and when we can't in our own strength overcome a temptation or overcome an area of sin, we want a pity party to be thrown for us. We want everybody to feel sorry for us. Oh, look at this sin. Look at this thing that's dragging me down. And then what happens? The guilt rushes in. Because we know that it's not right. We know what we've done is not right. And we don't feel any better. And what ends up happening? We usually fall into that area of sin again. And it becomes a habit of sinning in that area. We forget that we've already been forgiven. We've been forgiven for every single sin we've ever committed. Every sin we just committed. Every single sin we ever will commit. We forget that we are chosen royal priesthood. That God will deliver us through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. We forget that we are sons and daughters of God. It just goes out of our head. 
brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We need to remember that. We have to do what Paul calls Timothy to here in 1 Timothy 6.11. He says this, he says, But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. He tells us to fight. Men and women, simply put, we have to fight. We have to be willing to fight. Back to the book, I really like how he started this chapter that we're talking about this morning, chapter 7. He talks about how ultimate fighting... UFC has become a huge thing in our culture. A lot of people enjoy watching it. A lot of people uh, enjoy going to it, things like that, and how real fight clubs are starting up in our country, not just like the movie that Brad Pitt was in years ago. Those are happening. Things are happening. He said that people fight in these fight clubs to feel alive, to break out of the mundaneness of their lives. They just feel, oh, man, life is just so hard, and they want something to make them feel alive, and so they go to these fight clubs. He goes on to say this, and I really liked it. He says, He, God there, is calling us out of our depressive, self-centered lives, into the rewarding fight of faith, out of the Great Depression, into a spiritual war. Our spiritual war is a war against the flesh, that lingering vestige of our pre-Christian lives that must be put to death so that we can live in the fullness of life given to us in Jesus. Do you feel God now working on your heart, calling you out of that Great Depression? Calling you out of that in your life, that mundaneness, that hardness of just day-to-day life into a great spiritual war, a war against your flesh. If you're feeling that, this is a place for you. You're in the right place. I think a lot of us are feeling that. In the book, the author goes on to describe what he calls fight clubs in the church. He says, we, and, and we plan to introduce this theme. We'll talk a little bit more about it next week. And we're going to work these into the structure of our small groups here at the Firehouse Church. But what they are is just essentially groups of two or three people. Two or three people that trust each other. And they want to fight the spiritual war against the flesh together. In these groups, he said, there must be three specific things going on. There must be three things going on in your fight club if you're going to be successful and conquer sin in your life. And those three things don't just have to happen in these fight clubs. These are things you need to do. One-on-one, you and God. You can, you can start these things yourself here that we're going to talk about this morning. But these three pointers will help you practically, super practical things, figure out how to conquer areas of sin in your life and put them to death once and for all. Get rid of them. Get them out of your life. So the first one we're going to look at is to know your sin. Number one. Know your sin. You have to know your sin. To beat sin in our lives, you have to know it. You have to know what it is. We have to figure out some key information about it if we're going to know our sin. We're going to have to figure out what the sin is that's in our life. We're going to have to figure out when it occurs. When's this sin or this temptation happening in my life? And why? Why is this temptation? Why is this sin happening in my life? So the first question, again, is what? So here's the first question. What sins or temptations are currently present in our lives? What sin or temptation is currently present in my life? What's something I'm struggling with? And to do that, we have to spend some time looking at our lives for areas of temptation, areas of sin that are in our lives. Some will be blatantly obvious. Some will almost have a red flag waving. All right, I'm a sin. Here I am. Some, not so much. They may be more subtle. You don't notice them as often. We need to pray about our lives. And ask God to show them to us. Show us our sin, whether it's anger, or lust, or self-pity, or bitterness, or pride, or whatever area of sin you may have in your life. I like this verse in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. It says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to be honest. We need to be honest and open. 
with this introspection, with this look into our lives and get all the dirt out, all of it. Get it all out of the darkness. Get it out of the darkness and into the light. We can't allow our pride or our selfishness to get in the way. That's probably the biggest thing that keeps us from admitting we're sitting in some areas, just our pride. We've got to get it out, and we can't brush any of it under the rug. We can't just clean up and try and push some of it under the rug. We have to get it all out in the light. The only way we hope to have success is to get it out, all of it, out on the table. Get it out on the table. Once we know the what of sin, you move on to the next part, and that's the when. When are you tempted to sin? Dodson says this in his book, and I really liked it. He says, if we don't think about the when, sin will sneak up on us. Have you ever been in a battle with sin and just felt ambushed by it? You are just going along, thought you were doing really good, and boom! All of a sudden there was that sin in your life. I know I have at different times in my life. I knew about a particular sin in my life and was working, working on getting rid of it and trying to figure out how to replace that, that lie in my life. But I wasn't paying attention to when it was happening. So every time I'd walk into that situation, I was ambushed by it. And boom, there was a temptation and there was a sin. Here are some examples of what we're talking about here. Give you a little better idea of, of what we're looking at. Uh, he gives these in the book good examples. Do you find yourself tempted to vanity or self-pity when lingering in front of the mirror? Does sexual lust or despair creep in on late, lonely nights watching TV? Are you prone to pride when you succeed or receive a compliment? Are you easily angered in traffic or while waiting in line? I don't know about any one of you, any of you is tempted by that last one. <laughs> I'm tempted by that last one, <laughs> for sure. When I just want to be home and there's traffic, then I can get it pretty angry about it. We have to know when the sinner's temptation occurs so that we can avoid that situation. Now, with that one, I don't think you can avoid going to work. I don't think your boss is going to take the excuse of, I just can't be in traffic, so I'm not coming to work. <laughs> I think you'd get fired pretty quick for that one. But be ready. Be known. Know that that's a situation that causes you to be angry, that causes the temptation. And meet it head on. Don't just be surprised by it. None of us would take a nice leisurely stroll through a battlefield with bullets whizzing everywhere, looking at the flowers and remarking about how pretty the sky is today when there's bullets flying all around our head. So don't do the same thing with sin either. Be ready for it. Be ready for it. When you know it's going to come, be ready for it. It's like that point in a lot of war movies. You guys know this point, and you'll, you'll think of a ton of movies, right, when I say this, where one of the soldiers takes a bullet to the helmet. Boom! And he then proceeds to take off his helmet and look at the bullet. And at about that point, all of us are yelling, Put your helmet back on! <laughs> right? Because then what happens? Boom! second later, he gets shot in the head and he's dead. We must be ready for the battle. You can't get caught with your helmet off. You can't. You can't get caught with your helmet off. The devil would enjoy nothing more than to see you take off your helmet. To see you take off your helmet and let your guard down. He would enjoy nothing more than to see that happen. Once you've, so once we figured out the wins, now we've got the what. We know what the sin is. And we know when it happens. We know the situations when this sin tends to tempt us or when we tend to fall into it. Now let's look at the most important one. And I think the most important one is why do we sin? Again, a quote from the book here. But he says, the why question is important because it gets to the motivation behind our sin. It addresses the heart. If we never address the heart, we're not going to be successful in conquering our sins. That's just the reality of it. If we don't get to the heart of it, to the thing, the lie that we believe, we're never going to get it out of our life. We sin because it seems enjoyable at the time. None of us do it out of duty. We don't feel like we have to sin. We do it out of pleasure. 
It's something that gives us pleasure or something that um, alleviates some stress. We have to seek out the lies we're believing and you have to replace them with truth. That's the only way you can get to the heart of it. Here's some more examples he gives in the book. Examples of lies that we believe. Number one, lust. A lust thing. If you find sexual intimacy on the internet, then you won't be lonely or stressed. That's a lie. A lie when it comes to vanity. If you perform beautifully, then you have worth. Pride. If you received more compliments, then you would be more confident. Anger. If you get angry, you can get your way. Those are some lies we believe about some common areas of sin that we all have. A lot of times, we don't take the step of digging out these lies, though. We never dig to the core to figure out the lie we're believing, something deep down in us that's causing us to sin. We have to bring those lies to the surface. We have to realize them. We have to talk about them. We have to think about them. We have to bring them to the surface. Another quote here, cultivate a habit of looking beneath your sin to expose the lie underneath it. We need to get to the lie beneath the sin. If we don't bring the lies to the surface, if we don't bring them to the surface, we're going to struggle with those twisted motives I taught on several weeks ago. You're either going to become legalistic about that area of sin, and you're going to try really hard to overcome it. You're just going to try, 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 try to overcome it. Or you're going to become rebellious. And you're just going to give up. You're just going to quit trying. You're just going to go, whatever, I'm tired of this, I give up. And that area of sin in your life is just going to, it's going to just destroy you. It's going to take over you because you just give up fighting. So that was number one. Number one, know your sin. So we, what, when, and why of sin. Why does it happen? Now the second thing you've got to do, you've got to take another step. And you've got to fight your sin. You've got to fight your sin. To practically fight our sin, there's something that you have to remember and you have to keep in the forefront of your mind. Remember that Jesus conquered it. Jesus has conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered evil through His own death and resurrection. All the sins that you ever have committed, all of them that you ever will commit, have been conquered. He's been conquered and forgiven by Christ. He's done it all. Christ has won the war. He's won the war. But you still have to remember that there's still battles to be fought. There's battles to be fought until he takes us home to be with him. We have to fight the battles. But it is encouraging. It's encouraging to know we're on the winning team. No matter what happens, we're on the winning team. Christ wins. Christ wins. No matter how bad it seems to be getting, how rough the world seems to be going, Christ wins. We're on the winning team. And if you're any kind of sports fan, I would love <laughs> to start a game knowing my team's going to win. <laughs> but it wouldn't quite be so exciting when it comes down to the end, but I would love to know my team's going to win every time and not be so stressed and scared and worried about it. We know that. We know the outcome. We know the outcome. We win. Christ wins. Here's a few thoughts from the book. A few quotes. Fighting sin is a tenacity to put it to death, which arises from our life in Christ. Another one, knowing our sin, we fight against it by fighting to be who we already are in Christ. Another one, disciples contend with their sin because they love their Savior. A couple thoughts there. There's a lot of love. We need to love. We're love. We love our Savior, which arises from our life in Christ. But we need to fight sin and we need to fight it with a tenacity. Do those thoughts describe you? Is that your mindset? Do you fight with a tenacity against sin? Do you fight it like it's evil? Like it shouldn't be there? Do you fight it like a bulldog? Or do you let it just run you over? And do you constantly give in to it? Do you constantly just give in to it every single time it comes up? If we don't constantly remember the message of the gospel, we're going to wear down and give in every time. You will. You're going to wear down over time and give in. 
We have to remember that we are free from the clutches of sin. We're free from it. We're free from it. Christ Jesus has already won. And we've been given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. And it helps us to resist temptation. That's one of the reasons He gave it to us. Brad shared that. It's a lifelong battle, and we can't stop fighting. You cannot stop fighting. Dawson shares a quote from one of his theological theology professors there where he went to school. Scott Halfman, who said this, he said, It's not perfection overnight, but perseverance over a lifetime. Remember that. It's not perfection overnight, but perseverance over a lifetime. We can't be sprinters and expect to win the battle against our sin. You can sprint, 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 and then it's going to come right back. And because you get tired, and you get worn out, and you let your guard down. You have to be a marathon. I know there's several of you that have run marathons in here, my wife being one of them, several others. I think David's run one, um, some other people. It takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of training, but it's for the long haul. You're training for the long haul so that when you get out there, you can run 26 miles, and you don't run three miles, and then you're like, oh, man, I'm crazy. That was stupid. <laughs> Maybe you have those thoughts anyway when you hit mile three. But, <laughs> but it's rewarding when you hit the end, and you just keep going, and you've trained. It takes time. It takes a very long time. You need to persevere when it comes to fighting sin. The end of our marathon is when we go home to be with Christ. You need to plan on that fight. You need to train so that you can last that long. Whether that's 10 years from now, whether that's 30 years from now, whether that's 50 years from now. Are you training for a marathon when it comes to fighting your sin? The third point that we need to look at is you need to trust your Savior. You need to trust your Savior. We must trust God. If we're not trusting Him with our fight against sin, we'll inevitably turn to our own strength. That's just what will happen. We'll turn to our own strength and rules, and we'll just decide, or we flip to the other side and we'll just decide it doesn't really matter. I give up, and it's going to destroy our lives. If we're trying to do it on our own instead of trusting God. Here's a quote. Trusting our Savior makes discipleship personal. Discipleship isn't a program or a one-on-one meeting. It is fundamentally a trusting relationship with Jesus based on His gospel of grace. Again, it is fundamentally a trusting relationship with Jesus based on His gospel of grace. So much of the time, so much of the time, this is where we fail. This is the area we fail in when it comes to fighting our sin. Why is it when we're really struggling with the sin? We're really struggling, we're feeling beat up, we're feeling like the whole world's crashing down around us and we're worn out and we're frustrated. Why is it when that happens and, we've tried, and we think we've tried everything and someone comes along and says, hey, what did you read in your quiet time today? And you're like, I haven't had a quiet time for a week. I don't know. Why is it that? Why is that usually the case? And you'll notice it. You'll notice when sin's attacking and you feel beat down, you're probably not having very good quiet times. It's probably because you haven't been in the Word that you're being beat down in the first place. We have to be having consistent quiet times. You have to be spending time in the Word. You have to be spending time seeking God in prayer, earnestly seeking Him in prayer. You can't overcome that sin if that isn't your habit. If your habit isn't being in the Word and believing God's promises and heeding His warnings, and you're not earnestly seeking Him in prayer, you're going to get beat down. You're going to get beat down by sin. We also need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. God's given Him to us for a reason. He's put Him inside us for a reason. We need to listen to Him and His promptings. I really like this thought from the book about that. He says this, he says, Don't make temptation an inner dialogue with your reason. Make it an opportunity to commune with the Spirit. Surrender to His promptings. Be yourself in Christ and turn to God's promises in faith. What's your natural reaction? Is your natural reaction to reason? Figure out how you can get out of it and reason? Or reason why this thing's happening in your life instead of 
trusting the Holy Spirit, instead of seeking Him to give you wisdom on how you can overcome an area of sin or what it is that's dragging you down. If you're struggling with sin, here's the easiest thing you can do with it. So you, you know your sin, you figure it out, you figure out what the lie is down below it, and then find a promise. Find the true reason, the true thing behind it. So here's some examples from the book. For lust, again, here's the lie. We talked about it a little earlier. Long for what you cannot have and you will be happy. That's, what, that's the lie lust tells you. Here's a verse from the Bible that says the exact opposite. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So the Gospel says this. Rejoice in what you do have in Jesus, and you will be truly happy. Can you take that lie and replace it with that truth? This is the way you overcome sin. You don't just try and beat it down. You take that lie and you figure out why it's a lie and you figure out the truth behind it. Here's another example. Vanity. The lie. Perform beautifully and you will have worth. Let's look at 1 John 3, 2. It says, What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. The Gospel, the Bible, says this, Jesus performed beautifully for you. Therefore, you have never-ending worth. That's the truth. That's the truth. Pride. The lie. Find and cherish compliments and then you will be confident. That's what you have to do. That's what the world would say. That's the lie of that sin. A verse, 2 Corinthians 3, 4-6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient. So the truth that counteracts that lie from the gospel, your confidence comes not from your sufficiency, but from God, who has made you sufficient in Jesus. And the last one, anger. A lie about anger. If I control my circumstances, and by darn, I have the right to, then I will get the best outcome. If I can't control my circumstances, then I have the right to get mad about them. Here's the verse to counteract that. Psalm 4, 4, and 5. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So the truth from the Gospel would say, because Jesus is Lord, He has the right to control my circumstances. Therefore, I will get the best outcome by trusting Him. Put your trust in the Lord, not in controlling your circumstances. So you see how that works? See how any lie out there, any lie out there can be counteracted with God's truth. And that's how we get rid of an area of sin in our life. If you don't have that truth, and when that sin comes into your life, you don't have a verse memorized that you can go, okay, this is true, I need to believe this, I need to believe this, I need to believe this. You get focused on the sin. And when you get focused on the sin, you forget the truth. Uh, I think there was another quote in the book where he said, for every every one time you look at an area of sin, look at God ten times. Get that as your mindset. Every time, area of sin, look to God ten times. Ten times. Repeat that verse ten times. Till your heart believes it. Till you believe that that's true. You need to focus on God and His promises if you're going to have victory over sin. If we're always again looking at the sin, we're going to be blinded from the truth. That's what the devil wants. The devil wants us to be blinded from the truth. He wants our eyes to be covered when it comes to the truth. He wants us to think that that sin is true. And if you fall into that and you start believing... If that sin is true, you're in trouble. If you start thinking that that's the truth, you're going to be in trouble. Don't let the devil deceive you. Don't let him deceive you and distract you from the truth of God's promises.
And that's with these groups. You can do that on your own, but what really helps is when you have brothers and sisters next to you that are doing the same thing. You're working through God's Word together. You're spending time in God's Word, and you're helping each other. You're talking about the sin in your life, and you're counteracting it with truth, and you're encouraging each other, and you're encouraging each other on that truth. Let's be a church full of men and women who take sin seriously. It's serious business. Let's take it seriously. Let's get it out of our lives. Let's work together to help each other, to help each other believe the truth. When the devil would want to drag us out, he'd want to drag us out and take us down. That's what he wants to do. That's his goal. Let's be known as men and women who know our sin. We know it. We know what it is in our life. We fight it. We fight it together. We fight it alongside each other. And then we trust our Savior for what he's done for us. That we remember the gospel. It's central. We have to um, wake up every morning and remember, Christ died for me. I'm forgiven. I'm free from this sin. I can trust in that. To do that, we need to be a church that's full of gospel-centered disciples. That's what we're looking for. Gospel-centered disciples who constantly, again, remember that Jesus died on the cross for you, and for you, and for you, and for each one of us. He died on the cross for us. And because of that, we have victory over sin. Not because of our own trying to beat down the sin or anything else, because of that one reason. Because Christ died on the cross for me. I nailed Him on that cross with my sins, and He died for me. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you have overcome sin. God, that you've given us a way to overcome this. And God, I know it seems so hard at the time when we're stuck in sin and it's just eating us up. God, it's hard. It's hard. But God, I pray that you help us to remember that you have promises. God, that those are just lies. That sin is just a bunch of lies that the world and the devil want us to believe. They want us to believe that that's going to give us something, that we're going to feel good because we do it because of some reason. God, help us to fight those lies with truth. God, help us to look at you ten times for every time a sin is in our life. God, I pray that you would help us to write verses on our hearts of areas of sin that we struggle with. God, help us to attack it with tenacity, like a bulldog, not just kind of, oh, I have a sin here and I'll get to it someday. God, help us to get sin out of our lives. God, we realize that we're never going to be perfect till the day we come to meet you. But God, help us. Give us strength. Give us courage. Give us camaraderie here as brothers and sisters to talk about sin, to help each other fight it. God, help us to stand up and, and say, raise our hand and say, I want this sin out of my life. I don't want this in my life. And do whatever it takes to get it out of our life. Whatever it takes. Help us to have that tenacity when it comes to sin. God, we thank you for this family. God, we thank you that you've given us this family of brothers and sisters. God, we thank you that you've put us right here this morning to hear this. God, I pray that if there's anything... And anybody's heart here, in my heart, God, that you would make it evident to us. Something that we've overlooked, that maybe we just have gotten tired of fighting and we've given up on. God, help us to renew that fight and help us to do it together. God, again, we thank you for this morning. Pray you bless our weeks, bless our time and our smarts this week as we talk about this practically. God, I pray that we would be transparent that we would be open with each other on Wednesday night, that we would share areas and help, ask for help in these sin. And God, as we get these fight clubs rolling, God, we pray that it would be an effective means to just attack this sin. God, and we would get it out, and we would be known in this neighborhood as men and women who are Jesus people, who believe your word, and who fight with the tenacity against sin. God, I pray that you just bless the rest of our days. We ask things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, thanks for coming this morning. Um, Again, if you guys have people that are staying with you, talk to one of those girls, Megan or Kayla or Lydia, figure out who's staying with you, and then remember to be back here at 7 o'clock to pick them up so that they're not just standing out here on the curb waiting for some place to go. (laughs) All right, thanks, guys. Have a good day.